Today we're continuing our sermon series entitled Burnout. And we're going to be addressing the theme of help and how help plays into our situations of burnout in life. What does help have to do with our faith? What does seeking help have to do with who we are as Christians? You know, we are people who need help whether we admit it or not. And I know that we gather here today, some of us um, knowing that we are people who can ask for help and that comes more easily than it does for some who are in our midst. And having been in ministry for uh, several years now, I've really marveled at how people deal with this issue related to help. And so I'm glad to be addressing this theme today. You know, for some, the issue um, of help and not wanting to owe anyone is a big deal. It seems that for some, asking for help um, tends to make one somewhat indebted to the giver of the help. And these people sometimes find it difficult to receive gifts of care and expressions of love because there's this whole thing about repaying it. Can anybody resonate with that? <laughs> and for some of us, there's this issue of control and wanting to be on top of every given situation and therefore um, not looking as if we're ever in need of help. And so seeking help is something that we really don't want to appear to need. And for some, we're just too shy to ask for help. To get that courage up to say to someone, I'm in need, is something that's very difficult. And therefore, many people go without the help they need because they simply can't ask for it. Now, I want to say this morning that these three responses that I have mentioned set the table, if you will, for burnout. These matters strike at the very heart of our relationship with God and with others. We are all in need of help. Today, before I read the scripture from Acts, the sixth chapter, I want to say a word about this text to kind of set it up for us. The heart and soul of one of the greatest responsibilities of the Jewish faith that was adopted by the early church, we see the roots of that here in the text today, is the responsibility of taking care of the needy. In the synagogues, it was a regular custom uh, to have an offering, and that offering, it was understood, went to provide for those who were either in temporary need or in more of a permanent need, such as the widows and the orphans. And it was clear that the early church had taken over this custom. The offering that we receive in worship even today is a reflection of that Judeo-Christian tradition from our early, early heritage that we give so that even in worship, our practice of giving can move us toward love of God and love of others. Our benediction is the sending forth for, for us to be charged to go out into the world 
and to share the love of Christ, be extensions of the love of Christ in the world. Today, the text that we're going to read is a situation of the early church where there were Jews being converted to Christianity. A few weeks ago, we we talked about Pentecost, the second chapter of Acts, and how people were in Jerusalem from all over the world, and how the gospel was proclaimed by Peter, and 3,000 were baptized on one day and became converts. And that Um, that experience of coming to faith continued there afterwards. So you had Christian converts who were Jewish and who spoke Aramaic and who lived in Jerusalem or in the larger Palestine area. And you had Christian converts who did not live in that area, did not speak Aramaic, but were Hellenistic. In other words, they spoke Greek as their native language. And therefore, these newcomers who spoke Greek were not being assimilated into the body of the church as were those who had no language barrier. And this challenge grew into a problem related to the daily distribution of alms to those who were the most needy. For these who were the most needy had two strikes against them. The first was that they spoke only Greek. And the second was that they were needy to the point that they could not take care of themselves and were dependent on the help that those of faith would be giving them. So with that background, I'd like for us to turn now to the sixth chapter of Acts. And out of respect and love for the Word of God, let us stand. Beginning with the first verse. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. That's the problem. And the twelve apostles called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to these tasks, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and the serving of the Word." What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to spread the number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The scene that we've just read about in the life of the early church hits at a sacred balance 
that the church was longing for and that we, each and every one of us, are called to strike this balance in our lives. You know, it's easy to see why the apostles were so focused on their evangelistic role and the preaching of the Word and the proclaiming of the Word because people were coming to the faith. They also remembered the words of Jesus when Jesus said to them, quite as an instruction, as a mandate, that you are to proclaim the good news and to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the apostles were quite clear, the twelve were quite sure that Jesus had instructed them primarily to proclaim the word, not just to the Jews in Jerusalem, but that they were to proclaim the word to all who would come into the hearing of it. And besides, they also had results. We talked about those 3,000 coming to faith when Peter preached. And, and as the seventh verse of this scripture that we read today said that, that there were people coming into the faith daily. They were adding to their numbers daily. And so the issue was, how are we, those who proclaim the faith, those who speak the word, are called to practice the word in the way that we care for others. You know, the gospel that they preached, and I think it's important for us to first note, the same gospel that we are called to embrace has at the very heart and soul of who we are as Christians those who are in need of help, and that's you and that's me. For the gospel is about people who are being led to a faith that says we are all ultimately in need of help. We are not self-sufficient regarding our salvation. In keeping with the law is the mark of, of, of goodness. We cannot be good enough to obtain salvation. We cannot earn our salvation, for we'll always miss the mark. And if salvation is dependent upon what I do, then I'm always going to be short. I need help. And it's recognition of the help that we all need is, is the very reason that God presented the cross as the atonement. And God in Christ became that atoning person for you and for me. The cross stands as the bridge of the gap between us and God that says that you are unconditionally loved, that you are forgiven, not by what you can do or how you can earn it, but by what God has done for us, that we all stand in need of this ultimate help. And God, in the power of the cross, has responded to that great help for each and every one of us. You know, the psalmist of old recognized our need for help, even long before Jesus came. We read in the 121st Psalm, I lift my eyes to the hills. And the hills are not just physical hills or mountains in the land, but the hills represent those challenges and the problems that we face in life. I lift my eyes 
to the challenges, to my problems? Where does my help come from, asks the psalmist. And the answer, my help comes from the Lord who created heaven and earth. The God of my faith who neither slumbers nor sleeps sleeps. The God of my faith who knows the help that I need is always willing to respond. So total independence or self-sufficiency really has no place in the Judeo or the Christian faith. To be those who need help and acknowledge it is really a call that we have that goes right to the very heart of our relationship with God and also our relationship with others. For those who come into this Christian understanding realize that not only are we in need of help, but that others are in need of help too. And our call is to go to people um, as that extension of Christ's love, to offer that help to others. Our love for God then is focused on God's unconditional love of us and our recognition of all that God has done for us. Loving God is part of a sacred prescription for burnout, but it doesn't end there. Remember Jesus said, and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I think Jesus has given us that prescription for burnout in our individual lives and a charge to the church as well, that we understand our love of God and love of neighbor is the way that we lead to a life of no burnout. Have you ever noticed how good it feels when you wait on others? You know, I think it's a misnomer to think that the apostles who said, um, you know, we, we can't wait on tables. Our call is to administer the Word, as if waiting on tables was beneath them. What they were saying is our primary responsibility is to uplift the Word, to proclaim the Word, and we need help when it comes to extending that love to the needy. It's not that they were unwilling to do it, but they knew that they couldn't provide the leadership for that care that was required. So what we understand is, and pastors especially, that it is so important for us to find ways that we can serve and extend God's love to others. You know, Friday, I had a funeral for a mother and a daughter who died three days apart. They were not members of this church. In fact, the deaths had occurred way back in May, but, but this funeral service was one the family was having difficulty with. And, and they, they called on Lover's Lane because they'd had a connection with this church in the past. And they asked me to do that service, to officiate at that service. Now, I guess to some degree we all wonder when we're asked to do something beyond the role of the clergy here, do we really have time to do that? And yet the Holy Spirit reminded me that this was something, a need that someone had that I needed to respond to. And so through meeting with member of, a member of the family and, and, and meeting the others that I didn't know who lived in Oklahoma on the phone, I found myself in the middle of officiating this funeral that was in Fort Worth. 
And you know what I discovered was how the Holy Spirit used me as a conduit of Christ's love to minister to people whom I didn't know and would never have been in that position were it not for Christ and his church bringing us together through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it was such a blessing to me to meet people who were in need, who didn't know where else to turn, who called Lover's Lane and said, help, we need help. And I know that you know that experience. I know that you know how good it feels when you're called upon to provide help or you see a situation that needs response and you respond with the love of Christ in you. It has a way of of, of bringing us to a place of true celebration and thanksgiving for the privilege that we have to wait on tables. It's the very Spirit of God that we're talking about, for God is the one who responds to our help before we ever respond to help. It's God working through us, waiting on tables. You know, I want to say this morning, this is not just a passage for individuals, but I think the larger message here is a a text for the church, because churches can burn out Two, did you know that? They can. I've seen churches burn out. And I think the ones that I'm aware of that have burned out are ones who have lost that sacred balance that this text is all about. This modeling of the apostles, the twelve, and the deacons, the seven, goes right to the heart of the great commandment dealing with the love of God and love of neighbor. And churches can get caught up between the two and can drift from one extreme to the other without holding this balance in place. We can come to a place where evangelism and preaching the word and saving souls becomes the sole passion and we fail to see the importance of ministering to society and social justice issues and true means of us responding to the needs of others. Hunger, visitation, other means of needs. You know, when I was a kid uh, back in my hometown, I've been reflecting this week of the life of the church that I experienced. You know, particularly in the summer, it was a time for revivals. And, and we all had a revival. It seemed like every church in town had a revival. And, and, and if, if they came to ours, we had to go to theirs. So we just went to revivals in the summer. There was always good singing, gospel-type singing, and always a, an evangelist who would proclaim the Word. And oftentimes there was a missionary who would come and talk about sharing the Word of God with people in another country. You know, there was this passion, this energy, that, 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 that we called revival because it really did revive your spirit as we focused on our need for help. There was also always an altar call given, and people responded to those altar calls, sometimes several times. But those altar calls were, were lifting up the fact that we need God, and God invites us to respond. And respond, we did. 
Now, growing up in the 60s and the 70s, the world was changing, particularly related to race, rela race relations. And there was much um, talk in the society about all of these changes and, and a lot of tensions in the world. But, but in reflecting back, it seemed that the churches were somewhat immune to these changes or didn't want to address them or seemed to shrink from them because we didn't hear much in church about the Cold War and where the church found itself in the midst of it. We didn't hear much in church about integration and how the church and Christians were called to respond in ways of loving people who were different. We didn't hear from our missionaries about colonialism and apartheid apart from the gospel message that they had taken to wherever. And for many people, this kind of church, I think, in the 60s and 70s became irrelevant to what was important in life. And then I went to seminary in the 1980s. And what I found in seminary was a focus on the Cold War and on um, the civil wars in Central America and, and where the church found itself in the midst of, of proclaiming social justice in, in, in a time of desperate need. I went to a seminary. We all had lunch together. We had community lunch, and, and the microphone was open. And every day, it seemed like somebody got up with a new protest to call us to. I mean, we were marching and doing all of this. Can you imagine me marching? It's true. I even had communion service with five others at a missile silo, but I won't go into that. What was missing was any kind of talk about this saving grace and our need for help in a Savior. And I regret that. You know, I believe the church is called to bring a balance. It's called to understand that we have a need for help that only a Savior can give. That we have a need to hear the gospel proclaimed that uplifts the atonement of our faith and our need for a God who helps. And yet at the same time, we need a faith that calls us into the world to face the real issues that we have in the world as people of faith, not to see ourselves as somewhat distanced from what happens in the world, but as being ones who are very involved in what happens in the world. That does not mean we all have to be of the same mind or same belief on every single issue, social or political, but it does mean that our faith calls us to share the love of God in Christ with a world in need. I believe the church can burn out if it's bouncing back and forth between evangelistic message and, and, um, and, and a message with no social power, we have to have a balance. We have to be those who proclaim the word and wait on tables because it is God whom we proclaim and it is God who calls us to the sacred act of waiting on tables. 
Well, back to my little hometown reflection. My dad used to love to tell a story, still does. I've heard it so much, I'm about tired of it. About a feisty Methodist preacher we had in my hometown back in the 1960s. You see, our little community, we got together, all of the churches did, once a year for around Memorial Day because even though theologically we were very different, we had a Methodist pastor and a Baptist pastor and an Assemblies of God pastor and a Church of Christ pastor. And the one thing we had in common was that we had a cemetery in town. And all of us would meet at the cemetery, if you know what I mean. And so it just seemed like it was right to bring the whole community together around Memorial Day and around the cemetery meeting and dinner on the grounds. And so we'd have one big worship service that everyone would attend. Of course, most would have worship services before so that they could get the theology right before they went into, <clears throat> into the midst of the others who had it a little wrong. Well, as the story goes... This very small ministerial alliance of the Baptist preacher, the Methodist preacher, the Church of Christ preacher, and the Assemblies of God preacher were meeting, planning the next Memorial Day service on the very day that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. As they were meeting, the word came to this group that Dr. King had been shot and one of the pastors, I will not name the denomination, said, it serves that, and then he used a word that we would not use today, hopefully, in description of Dr. King. It serves him right. To that, Reverend Shelton flew across the table and hit the preacher in the jaw. That ended the ministerial alliance <laughs> until our pastor was assigned to a new appointment the next year. And I guess to some degree that underscores the need for this balance, doesn't it? This understanding that, that we have to be both those who proclaim the gospel, our need for help, and the importance of the cross where we get that help from a Christ who is Lord and Savior. And our need to be aware of the hurting in this world and the world's need for help. Bishop Roy Nichols once preached a message with a powerful illustration. He was a true saint of the church and a great preacher. He said that the church is like a great eagle with two wings. One, the personal evangel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the other, the social gospel that the Christ calls us to. He said that with only one wing, the eagle flops around getting nowhere. But with both wings, the eagle can take flight and soar.
Friday before I had the funeral in Fort Worth, I attended the funeral of, Doc, of, of Bishop John Wesley Hart. I know that many of you knew John Wesley. He's been in the Dallas area for really decades. He came from Houston, was elected bishop, served in Oklahoma, came here, has been residing at C.C. Young, but also was a teacher at SMU and a, a true saint. I mean, if there's ever been one close to full sanctification, it has to be John Wesley Hart. John Wesley was, um, uh, was beloved by so many, but he never assumed that anybody knew who he was. And he had an interesting name for a Methodist, didn't he? John Wesley. I've got to tell you this story. Do you mind? I've got to tell you one little story, a side note about John Wesley. I remember as a young preacher, we would have in the Texas conference these preacher gatherings, these preacher retreats. And, and, and yeah, it was a good time to be with friends, but it was also with some fairly political, you know, especially if you, like John Wesley, were running for bishop to a degree and probably going to get elected, then you needed to kind of glad hand those in the midst and make sure everybody knew you and you knew everybody. Well, in our conference, we also had a, a preacher. She was a fireball. She was so full of life. Her name was Sarah Gertrude Johnson. And Sarah Gertrude was, was a large lady and not too tall, if you know what I mean. And she had a voice. I'm telling you, she could shake the rafters. And she was a preacher par excellence in the African-American tradition. And everybody loved Sarah Gertrude. But she was new in the conference. And I can still see John Wesley as he was making his way, shaking everybody's hand. And he made his way to Sarah Gertrude Johnson. And he said, my name is John Wesley. And she looked at him, and she stepped back, and she said, And I'm the Virgin Mary. <laughs> we all got a kick out of that. But no one laughed any harder than did John Wesley. At his funeral Friday, Bishop Scott Jones from our conference, now the bishop in Houston, shared the message of the day. And he remembered when he was a professor at Perkins, and so was Bishop Hart, that John Wesley would often say to the young preachers in training, we need to preach more about the cross. We've, we failed to preach enough about the cross, about God's atonement and how much we need a savior how much we need help from God if you get into these pulpits and don't preach atonement you're going to be missing the mark and Bishop Jones was quite animated when he remembered Bishop Hart in his teaching young preachers about the importance of the cross and, and then John Wesley's son stood up and made some personal remarks about who he remembered his dad to be. And then he remembered something to us that I was hoping would be brought up. When Bishop Hart and Martha, his wife, were in Oklahoma, because of his strong bent, not just toward the cross, but also toward uplifting the importance of social justice, 
their house was burned to the ground twice. Arson. And his son said, I'll never forget dad saying, you know, this fire's a real blessing. It's blessed me in ways that I couldn't imagine. For this fire has reminded me that though my ministry has been about help and helping others, that sometimes I stand in the need of help from others. And he said, son, it's been a blessing to be the one in need and to be the recipient of so much of Christ's love. Do you hear it? It's that sacred balance of the cross and who the one on the cross calls us to be. Involved in the world. Relevant in bringing the love of Jesus to those in need. You know, I believe there are lots of folks in the world who are offended by the rigidity of the right and the blandness of the left. Would that we be a church like the early church was and grew and added to its number daily. A church of balance. Proclaiming the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the cross that is the response to our need for help. And the love of neighbor as Jesus instructed us. Love others as I have loved you. May God give us the two wings to fly and to soar. The balance of gospel that we are called to proclaim in word and in deed. Amen.